There was, if you noticed, there was a, uh, a LinkedIn post a couple of weeks ago. Basically, the gist of it really, and I'll put a link in the show notes, was that reverse ETL is, is done and it's kind of like people are moving on from that. It's, it's a great question. Um, so I did see that. I forgot to respond on LinkedIn, but maybe I'll go do that afterwards. People from the outside might think reverse ETL is dead. What I can tell you for sure is that reverse ETL is not dead. Welcome to another episode of the Drill to Detail podcast, and I'm your host, Mark Whitman. So I'm really pleased to be joined today by returning guest Tejaz Manahar, co-CEO of Hightouch. So Tejaz, welcome back, and it's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Mark. I think I was on here about two years ago, so it's awesome to be on the show again. So Tejaz, for anybody that didn't listen on the first episode, tell us who you are and give me a quick elevator pitch for um, Hightouch. 100%. So um, thanks for having me on the show again. I'm Tejas, uh, co-founder and co-CEO at Hightouch. Um, before founding Hightouch, I was an early engineer at Segment, so I've kind of been in the customer data space for a while. Um, in terms of what we do at Hightouch, at a very high level, simple level, we, we work with companies that have tons of valuable data and insights inside of their data warehouses, like Snowflake, Google BigQuery, Amazon Redshift, Databricks, whatever technology you're using. And we help you activate that across the entire business. And what I mean by that is we've come up with this technology called reverse ETL um, that allows you to easily take data from the data warehouse and bring it to all the different applications you have around your company. So Salesforce, Facebook ads, Gainsight, Braze, any of those systems, and allow it to you know drive action like automated personalized email campaigns or ads or telling your salesperson the right signal at the right time. And then the other thing we're known for is coming up with this idea of the composable CDP. So for the last few years, I've been writing about how, um, and not just writing about, but practicing it at various companies, even in the Fortune 500, like Warner, PetSmart, the NBA, uh, basically helping these companies use their data warehouse as their CDP um, instead of um, having to invest in a totally separate platform as their customer data platform or something like Segment. Okay. And um, if anybody is thinking, well, I've heard this story lots of times now, um, this is, must be old hat. The thing that people don't probably realize is that you're one of the first people to actually have a product in this area and start talking about this. Um, so I mean, t- tell us a little bit about, so you mentioned you're at Segment and you were probably playing, downplaying your kind of role there as an engineer. I think you were, you were responsible, certainly working on, on personas. Um, how, how, how did, give us a positive history of how you came about to, to, I suppose, have the idea around high touch and how that was fed really by ideas you had in the past and inspiration you've heard from customers? 100%. So um, yeah, I was at Segment for, for quite a while before founding Hightouch, uh, about four years. Um, I left about, a, kind of joined when the company had about 10 engineers or a little bit less than that, and then left when it was about a year and a half by before the uh, $3.5 billion acquisition by, by Twilio, uh, which was which was an awesome outcome for the company. Good, good timing then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but um, yeah, in terms of Segment, one of the last things I worked on there was basically uh, the Personas product. So Segment had this amazing infrastructure, which you know allowed companies to collect events from their websites, from their apps, from their backends, and collect all these events in a certain segment way. So calls like track events, identify events, page events, different stuff like this, a kind of a standardized schema. And then Segment would, you know, the core product would bus out those events to a bunch of different tools that Segment's integrated with. 
And what the Persona's product was meant to do, actually, at the time, it's funny because online, I think, you know, segments regarded as the number one CDP or the first CDP or all this sort of stuff. But at the time, you know, there was this whole trend going on in the space called CDP that that segment wasn't actually playing in. And what a CDP did was um, allowed marketers to come into the tool and do things like build audiences, build user traits, sync them out to different tools. And it's kind of an obvious opportunity for for segment um, to expand into that space, just like many other tag managers or customer data, uh, you know, platforms or solutions had like MParticle, like Telium, like Treasure Data. Um, and the idea was that a CDP would kind of be the, the global source of truth for your company. So you would put all the data around the business into the CDP's format. So segments, users and events and stuff like that. And then from there, you'd be able to do all the activation across your business from this one platform. Now, I would say it was a truly an amazing promise. I mean, customer data problems are huge, right? And if you can actually buy one platform to go solve all of those, that's it's truly incredible, especially if it can work out of the box. What I saw in reality, though, is like segment and the segment model. So I think you've seen this with with other players in the space like Rudderstack and, and so forth. It's not just segment, but that the general model of handling customer data uh, in a cookie cutter kind of way, works really well for for small companies, um, like or simple companies. Let's say like a Shopify store or a simple e-commerce platform. But when you get into a larger enterprise, um, there's a, there's a few issues that come up, um, and those issues are namely one that um, you know segment and Rudderstack and all these solutions have to understand your data to be able to activate them. You have to put data in their format, so. How do you want to track user event? How do you want to track a product being added to the cart, et cetera? And, um, you know, that's just a very tricky thing to do in a really large enterprise where there's all types of different data. You know, your business is unique and so is your data. Some of our customers like PetSmart track things like their actual pets in their loyalty system, you know, when the pet's birthday is, or a bank customer of ours has many different accounts that a customer can have that can have many different balances, all these different entities. So that was one of the problems. And then the other problem was just the time to value. I mean, to actually, you know, have built, set up this platform for your marketers, which delivered on an amazing promise of, you know, time to value for marketing campaigns once set up, um, you actually had to go through a huge implementation process. So it could take, you know, six to 12 months for, for many clients to just get that audience builder off the ground. Um, and with high touch, those are the two things we've really differentiated on. So we can tap into any data in the data warehouse, no matter the format, no matter the structure, right away and handle those complexities of your business, um, like bank accounts or pets or households or point of sale systems. And then we can also get spun up right away. If you have, you know, if you're using BI tools like Tableau or Looker, you can start building audiences in high touch right away. And of course, it might not be your perfect customer 360, but it's kind of a new, you know, incremental way of looking at that problem. Maybe just let's start by just paint, painting a picture of what the original, the original incarnation of high touch was really um, when it first went to market, and then we can actually then start talking about what's new really um, since we spoke. When we first went to went to market a few years ago, I think I think you were maybe one of the first people who checked out our product, Mark. So thank you for that. Um, but it was really a simple product. I mean, you come into the app. Hide the chat. You connect your data warehouse. So you, you know you add Snowflake or whatever it is to the data source, similar to how you would in, in Tableau. Um, and then you you put in a SQL query and you say, "I want to sync that SQL query." Let's say it grabs all the users that recently logged in. I want to sync it to a tool like Salesforce or Facebook Ads. And then 
you just fill out a little mapper that says, I want these columns in my SQL query to go to these columns in a downstream tool, set a schedule and, and, and schedule it. And then your data is kind of flowing a live, a live sync between data that's populating your data warehouse under some conditions in the SQL query into a downstream tool. And something interesting is like, um, still today, you know, if you sign up for high touch, you can set up a workflow like that in your company really, really fast. We're actually, uh, just tomorrow, we're kicking off this, uh, this webinar series called the 23 minute CDP. And it's, it's kind of a funny thing in a lot of ways, because, you know, a full on CDP is used across the whole company. It can't be set up in 23 minutes, but uh, every company I truly believe can drive tremendous business impact in in a couple hours of getting into our platform, which is one of the biggest selling points, especially in this market. Um, and the reason we picked that 23 minute thing is it's actually a stat we developed off analyzing our self service funnel of people signing up on High Touch for a trial. Like 23 minutes is actually the average time it takes a new sign up uh, to go from connecting their data warehouse to creating their first sync um, in High Touch. Interesting. Interesting. So, so we'll, we'll talk about, um, I suppose new features in the reverse ETL part of the product in, in a sec, but there was, if you noticed, there was a, uh, a LinkedIn post a couple of weeks ago, um, from Aaron, Ethan Aaron, that was it, um, talking about reverse ETL being dead. And he sort of said on the, in the post, all the vendors have moved on instead of being use case agnostic, helping data teams move on. And basically the gist of it really, and I'll put a link in the show notes was that reverse ETL is, is done and it's kind of like, People are moving on from that. and But you've actually invested quite a lot of time and money, I suppose, in new and additional features around reverse ETL. So what's, how is, what, what have we done in that kind of part of the product? And is reverse ETL no longer a kind of like a, an interesting area to your clients, really? It's, it's a great question. Um, so I did see that. I forgot to respond on LinkedIn, but maybe I'll go do that afterwards. Um, it's funny, you know, it, it's hard to do marketing as a startup, especially when you're, you have multiple products, multiple um, multiple kind of points you're trying to drive to the market in this whole movement of using the data warehouse, you know, reverse ETL, composable CDP, thinking in a warehouse native way for things like customer 360. So, I mean, a challenge that we've had is I think we've leaned super hard into pushing all this content around using your warehouse as your CDP, the composable CDP over the last six months. And people from the outside might think reverse ETL is dead. What I can tell you for sure is that reverse ETL is not dead. Um, Actually, over half the, the, the kind of deals that are coming into our business are are for just using the reverse ETL product where there's so much value to drive from taking data from the warehouse and using it to power workflows across the business that happens in your SaaS tools, your ad tools, Slack, spreadsheets, whatever it is. Um, so it's definitely not dead. Um, if anything, I think it's actually become somewhat of a standard lingo amongst data teams. I, I you know, I've run into data teams even in the Fortune 500 that have built, quote unquote, a reverse CTL script internally. So it's quite interesting in that sense compared to, you know, a few years ago when we were just coining the term and getting it off the ground. But I'll tell you in terms of, you know, the the why we've invested in our reverse CTL product so much is because it, it's an incredibly large part of our business to date. And even the customers who use us for a CDP context are still reverse CTLing around, around their company. You know, even companies who use big CDPs are still using reverse CTL. Um, but the, the ways we've invested it are, I would say, kind of twofold. Um, one is making it easier to activate, you know, do your data off the warehouse and just easier to use the product. Um, so that, that kind of uh, goes between two things. One, there's tons of UI improvements, UX improvements that we made over the last couple of years. We really look at that stat, like how fast does it take a new user of the platform once the warehouse is connected? 
to 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 run their first activation and we optimize that in the platform because we think that's super important it's not just your first use case it's your your end use case um so that's a big improvement area another one is just like integrations with bi tools so you know you can you can just go directly from a looker report or a tablet report now and say boom i want to or sigma report and say boom i you know i want to sync that data i just you know i just analyze and drill down and found my most valuable users I want to sync that to Salesforce for outreach so that my sales team can act on it. I want to sync it to Braze so that we can send out some re-engagement campaigns to these users. Um, and that's a really, really quick workflow in the product. And then the other thing I would say on the on the uh, idea of making it user, easier to use is making it easier to use for certain use cases. So we really believe in not just understanding how our customers use reverse ETL, but understanding what they're doing more broadly with their data. So we go and talk to customers who use all our integrations like Postgres, MySQL, DynamoDB. And we were like, hey, what are you guys actually doing with these integrations? Why are you putting data in those services? And something we realized is they're trying to build APIs off the data warehouse to do things like personalizing their app. So we actually built a first class personalization API for that purpose that handles a bunch for you, like multi-region, global deployments, getting really fast latency and caching. Um, and then just at a high level, you know, the last area is is really reverse ETL is making the data warehouse a core part of the production pipelines of a company and, and the data team, a core part of that. So we think of, you know, what does that mean around the company? Well, it means you might want things like version control with Git on these pipelines. So you can roll back changes if there's an issue. You might want things like building your own integrations and extensibility, which is very common in, in you know, developers and software. You might want things like Datadog integration. So just like anything you can name it, bringing things from the software engineering workflow to the data teams is another area of focus for us. Okay, yeah. I mean, so, certainly it struck me a few, the, the fit and finish, really, the product had, had come on a lot really since, I mean, it wasn't bad in the first place, but certainly it's even better now, like the ability, like you said, to define a look and then the look becomes the source of the, the audience, for example, or source of the kind of the the the, the data extracts you're going to, you know, reverse ETL into HubSpot, for example. That was really good. I like I like the data dog integration. I thought that was good. You know, make it part, as you say, part of the sort of the, the, the infrastructure. Um, and the, so the personalization API, I mean, so just on, on that point, um, so I, I worked on that sort of thing in the past a little bit. And one of the things about that was the le- you need to have very low and predictable latency for the, yeah. uh, for the queries. How, how are you handling that? So you've got a website that needs to be able to, to be able to refer to the personalization API in real time to personalize content. How are you ensuring that the, the latency is, is, is low enough really for that? Yeah, hundred percent. So. Um, we've built the API internally. Uh, it's backed by a kind of distributed key value uh, database on our end. Um, so, you know, we make it really, really seamless to take data from the data warehouse and expose it in the personalization API. So, you know, let's say you have something like a propensity to buy, like, you know, what's the score, propensity score that this customer is going to buy another product between zero and one. You have that in your data warehouse. You want to use that to offer a discount to low propensity users and see if you can push them over the line. Well, with high touch, you can easily offer that discount by reverse ETLing low propensity users into Braze or Salesforce Marketing Cloud or Facebook ads and running campaigns at those customers. But let's say you want to do that in your e-commerce experience or in your mobile app, you need an API, right? That's that's the fundamental building block is you need an API that can take a user and return you if they're their propensity. Um, and what Hightech allows you to do is stick a SQL query that you know pulls all the users and their propensity scores and click 
I want a personalization API off that. And then now you have an API with really low latency that you can use in your apps. Now, in terms of how we actually do that, um, we don't query your data warehouse or issue that SQL query whenever data comes in. We're caching that data in our own you know, distributed key value data store in the backend. And we have kind of like almost like a CDN in front of the API so that basically, you know, if someone hits it in India and then someone hits it in Australia, you're going to two different servers and not your U.S. servers uh, so that it's really, really low latency, if that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Absolutely. So, so there's all the stuff that I saw to do with, um, to do with reverse ETL, but then I noticed there was a, a, a new business tier and a, and a customer studio feature uh, in the product. So just give us a bit of a kind of, give us a bit of a, uh, background and, and, and high level kind of, I suppose, overview of what customer studio is within, uh, within high touch. A hundred percent. So I imagine this podcast is, you know, mostly listened to by, uh, data professionals and, and you know data teams. So at a at a high level, I mean, Customer Studio. We basically founded it because we realized, hey, there's more people around the company than data people who know SQL that want to do this reverse CTL stuff. You know, <laughs> like that's not actually how I'd pitch it to a marketing team. But basically, you know, marketers they want to get their hands on the data. They want to say, hey, I want to send, I want to build a custom segment, find customers who recently didn't make a purchase, and I want to send it to Facebook. I want to send it to Braze. I want to send it to these tools without having to go to the data person, especially at larger companies. Um, you know, the distance between these teams, marketing, business teams, and data teams grows farther. And, you know, people start working together through sprint processes and tickets and all these things that, that no one really likes in the end of the day. Like the future is is self-serving data. And we wanted to enable people to do that directly in the high touch platform. So basically customer studio, it's, it started off as audiences. That's what it is initially called, but we renamed it as we started to think broader. Um, but the idea is you can come into the platform and get this visual UI. That's quite, um, aesthetic, easy to use, very marketer friendly. Um, it's been a huge focus of ours from the beginning. Um, and that visual UI lets you do things like build audiences, just using kind of drag and drop filters and, um, you know, stuff like I want to find people who went to the website, but didn't check out just stuff like that. And then you can preview it, you can see some stats about it, and you can activate it by syncing it to all the different channels that we can reverse ETL to So any ad network you can imagine, any ESP marketing automation platform. Um, and it's, it's fully a self service flow for the marketer. So that's really the differentiation there with the reverse ETL product. Okay. 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 So that, 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 that's, and that, I suppose conceptually that's quite familiar, although, as you say, new to high touch, um, the product. But then, but then I noticed that you've got, you've got things in there around, say, A-B testing. So randomized audience splits, um, and, uh, high touch performance, uh, in there. So maybe again, for anybody listening, well, people listening, what is that? And, um, why would that be relevant to, to reverse ETL market and marketers? And how does it work within high touch? Uh, yeah, hundred percent. So, I mean, take things like the randomized audience splits or performance. There's all these questions and tasks when it comes to data. Um, let's say specifically marketing data within the context of customer studio. There's all these questions and tasks that data people can do really easily in SQL. They're like, oh yeah, I want to you know do a split test. Let me use this uh, nthile function or percentile function or whatever it is uh, inside of Snowflake. Or, oh, yeah, I want to see how this audience is performing. Let me copy paste the SQL query into like another report in Tableau and 
see how the performance is. Easy questions for a data person to answer. Incredibly, you know, long waiting, long cycle questions for, for marketers to answer. Because sometimes they don't have those technical skills to operate in the data directly. And they have to go through the, the ticket queue or ask a question which should be responded in a, a day or an hour or whatever it is. So we just, you know, look at these most common tasks, talk to marketing teams, pretty simple, ask them what they're waiting on data from a data perspective, what they wish they could do themselves. They told us, in addition to activating audiences, they want to build experiments themselves. They want to be able to split their audiences, send them to different to, to different tools, have a control, do things like stratified sampling, know how the, the audience are performing in the end of the day, like understand the performance of it as well without waiting for another report to be built. So we've just encapsulated those workflows in the high-touch product. And I think that's, again, you know, compared to like, say, say it's, let's say a CDP or like a more specific solution, um, high touch, we can really do things like showing the performance of campaigns really easily because all the data is in your warehouse. Like when you think about lift data, attribution data, you know, pulling back the stats of how your performance campaigns are running from something like Facebook or Google, that stuff usually lives in the warehouse. Uh, if it doesn't, there's a great ecosystem of tools to bring it in there, like Funnel and Supermetrics and Fivetran. Um, or Google can do this for free for big query customers, actually. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's it's the problem is that not the data being in the warehouse. It's really it's not be accessible to marketers. Okay, so this isn't so it doesn't it doesn't, it doesn't cover sort of incoming traffic to a website and splitting it in real time. This is about taking an audience of, of of kind of users or customers or whatever in the warehouse and applying a split to that, isn't it? Is that correct? Yeah, that's that's kind of spot on. Like we're really open to any data from any data source that goes into the warehouse, and you know stuff's getting into the warehouse a lot faster than it was. Um, years ago, as we both remember, Mark, I think you've been at the data space for a long time, right? Like, you know, Amplitude, their their syncs go to the warehouse, I think every 10 or 15 minutes at this point in terms of new events. Um, with Snowplow customers, we've seen people even getting it even faster. Um, and yeah, I think the, the whole world of how quickly you can get online data into data warehouse is really evolving. I, I've even seen stuff in the minutes. Okay. Okay. So, and also you've got in that you've got in the product uh, a way of visualizing the uplift and the revenue uplift in there. So, I, I guess it's probably early days of the product and 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 so on. But are you looking at things like I suppose statistical significance and and that sort of thing in there, or is it really more of a a basic feature at the moment that we're built out over time? How does the how does that kind of part of it work? The the, the uplift the uplift kind of visualization and so on. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. So there's kind of statistical, um, you know, nuances and significance that may be thought up on both sides. One in terms of picking the samples, uh, and then two in terms of um, uh, basically, you know, uh, understanding if there's actually significant lift. Um, the fir- first side is something we hundred percent, hundred percent play in. Uh, we have a lot of different sampling methods. Random is obviously the default one, but there's stratified sampling, all sorts of different things. Um, in terms of the second one, helping you, you know, understand is this, was this a good experiment run in the first place? We have some basic capabilities there today, but that's an area that frankly, and happy to be open about this on the show that we're investing more and more in helping, you know, marketers understand things like incrementality, you know, and if, is there an actually a difference being proved by this campaign or do I have too many conflating campaigns running at once? So we really think if companies are able to centralize, you know, all their activation and analytics around one core platform around the whole company, the data warehouse, then 
it, it, it provides the right breeding ground to build these capabilities, but we're still early in our journey here when it comes to analytics. And and I would suggest that's where partners come in as well. Uh, yeah, a hundred percent. But no, seriously, I mean, I think that's where where a good a good services partner can really kind of make the difference as well, because the tool is there, it's got the capabilities, um, it enables these things to be sort of you know much more accessible and much more kind of uh, you know uh, easy to do. But then a good partner is the one that says to you, actually, it works with you to say, right, is this the right way to do it? How do we interpret these results and so on? So totally, I mean, technical literacy and uh, you know, experimentation literacy is a level, level beyond that too. I would say is is not not available in every organization, and you know, most of the largest organizations we work with all need all need partners to to help with those things. But if we look at the, I suppose, looking at the CDP market in general, right? So we have since you came on the show a while ago, we've had you know a segment on the show talking about reverse ETL and Rudderstack and so on, and there's also census out there and so on. Um, how do you see, I suppose? the CDP market going at the moment and the reverse ETL market? And is it one that is kind of growing? Is it one that's getting differentiated? I mean, how 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 has it changed since we spoke, do you think, a few years ago? 100%. Um, so answering the simplest of questions first, is it growing? Yes, it's definitely growing. I think the reverse ETL market's growing. I think the, the CDP market is growing, uh, both traditional as well as the kind of new, new CDP, uh, composable CDP. Um, all of this stuff is growing. The demand to use data and drive outcomes with data has never been higher and more serious in terms of the impact to businesses um, than it is today. And there's a lot of change in the ecosystem, right? Third-party cookies going away. There's there's lots of lots of tailwinds here. Um, but in terms of how we see uh, you know differentiation, how we see the market evolving, I think uh, you know High Tech was founded on the principle that the data warehouse is, I won't say going to be the single source of truth in a business, but it's going to be the closest thing to it. You know, we actually are uh, putting out a blog on this, but I think the whole idea of a single source of truth is is kind of flawed in a lot of ways. It's it's always a journey, but the data warehouse in a business, uh, no matter if you're a 200 person company or or a 20,000 or 200,000 person company is going to be the closest thing to that single source of truth and is also the most powerful technology when it comes to operating on data. And our goal is really to democratize access to that to the whole business, especially marketing teams. Um, so I think the the part that's become obvious over the last couple of years is that the data warehouse is an important piece of the puzzle that you can't ignore. Companies like Braze or Salesforce Marketing Cloud that may have previously felt it's important to lock in their data and not make it you know accessible in people's data warehouses, you know, go build your own connectors for that, are now leaning in and just saying, hey, if you want to get your data into, into Snowflake from Brace, click a button. We'll make it happen. Um, and that's that's a big trend across the whole SaaS industry. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, the CDPs, uh, segment and particle, treasury data, no matter what they are, they're, they're not sitting still. They're recognizing their customers are demanding some sort of integration of data warehouse, and they're, they're adding those kinds of capabilities. But I think what ultimately will help high to shine and we continue to see in, in deals where we compete with you know the segments of the world the cdps of the world is that there's a difference between being integrated with the data warehouse and being centric you know warehouse centric and really uh you know being able to use the data warehouse to the fullest and um, let me give you an example of, of what this means so segment while it has an integration with the data warehouse can only understand data that was built for segment or is you know in the segment format you know it goes back to a track event or an identify call or a page call or, you know, product added to cart kind of event at the e-commerce schema. 
that just doesn't work in a really large company scale, especially with their everyone's own unique complexity to their data. So high touch is kind of secret sauce in the customer studio, as well as bringing it to more and more parts of the product is being able to sit on top of any data in the format it already is and making it usable to marketing, um, which is incredible benefits in the time to value part, but also allows marketers to personalize at a level they could never do before um, on things like, hey, I want to you know, not send an ad campaign to, this, to these customers if the product that we're advertising is actually out of stock. I want to wait and then send them an email when it is in stock and just stuff that, you know, people couldn't really do journeys that people really couldn't build before due to a, a data availability and a data understanding problem. Um, and that's where we'll continue to, 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 uh, you know, differentiate and build more. Um, so the market has been interesting recently, I suppose, for sort of SaaS businesses and, and you've got maybe, I suppose that maybe there's three types of SaaS business that I'm referring to here. So you've got like you've got like yourselves who are very, I suppose, specialized in a certain function um, and arguably, you know, very much aligned with a certain kind of set of users and a certain set of use cases where there's value you can provide and so on. Okay, so you've got, I suppose, the not to say niche providers like yourselves, but maybe sort of focused or whatever. And then you've got maybe a lot of the likes of maybe segment that's covering a lot of different sort of, um, you know, a lot of different um, sort of uh, markets and, and so on there. And then you've got companies like, say, DBT Labs, where arguably it's more kind of infrastructure. And and certainly in the last couple of weeks, there's been, you know, it's been, I suppose over the last six months, there's been layoffs and all that kind of thing. Um, from it, So I suppose is, is High Touch the kind of company is for a reason, the sort of the single focus on one certain thing? Um, you know, which companies and which SaaS businesses do you think will survive going forward? And what's the market been like, really, as a founder over the last kind of six months, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, yeah, totally great question. Um, and this is a topic that honestly more companies should be should be talking about. Um, so first thing I'll say is a, a clarification before moving into uh, the market question is just as a clarification, um, I don't really you know believe in this whole everything's unbundled forever. You know, go pick your best of breed software and string them together kind of world. Um, I do believe that data is a multifaceted problem and. The data team will buy tools like DBT, marketing team and MarTech team and marketing analytics team will go buy tools like HighTouch, and those, those those tools will work together uh, regardless of whether they talk to each other. Um, but I don't necessarily believe in these ideas of like, oh, you know, I need to build my whole whole company around this like modern data stack or modern marketing stack and plug all these different tools together. And I think you can kind of see that in our product direction at HighTouch. Actually, you know, bundling is is generally good for buyers. Um, and that's why we have the reverse ETL, the personalization API, the customer studio. We recently launched a product called Match Booster that allows you to do live ramp like things. So, you know, enrich. Let's get onto that. Let's get onto that in a moment, actually. That <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah. Happy to chat more about that. But, um, you know, bundling is a good, is, is generally actually a good thing for customers. I, I frankly do believe that. What I don't believe is good is, uh, you know, make, making you buy all the products at once, making you buy stuff you don't need. Um, you know, just like these software suites have become impossible to understand or, or actually, in addition to that, lower quality products, you know, companies where they focus on a lot of things and they can't drive the right focus in each of those products, but it's not inherently bad at bundling. I would say the two things that, that really matter in this market um, as a startup that's been adapting and selling over the last, uh, last, last you know, 12, 12 months in the downturn um, with companies across the stack is, is really focusing on one, time to value. Um, and then two, what is the actual value you drive? So um, 
companies that just provide infrastructure, uh, they can do well. They, they can actually do well, even infrastructure companies like DBT, and they are doing well. And that's because they do provide tremendous value to, to data teams. And they provide a step function on lock that just wasn't there before. Uh, but they need to get really good at conveying that value. And that's why you've seen you know us focus so much on the marketing use cases and what we're driving in companies in our marketing itself. Um, and that's an adjustment that we've made. That's an adjustment Twilio's also been making, and you can read about in their kind of quarterly reports online. It's kind of an adjustment that everyone's making across the stack. The second thing I would say is is time to value. So you know, let's say you deliver value. Now, how quickly do you deliver value? Um, because a lot of people are only focusing on the most important initiatives right now and don't want to start new, big, huge ones. And that's actually where high touch and the composable CDP and reverse ETL has it's really been picking up because we can deliver value really, really quick and prevent you having to do this huge customer 360 or CDP initiative. So that's where we've been doubling down. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so we've been involved in a few, I suppose, a few initiatives around customer 360 that that it's easy for them to either get mired in 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 too much detail or or kind of I suppose just never really happen really. And and it's um, I suppose it's how how you get to say how you focus on that time to value, how you focus on getting a certain sort of thing done and getting and getting it clear early on where the value is. I mean, how I suppose how 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 much activity do you see in the new cdp market at the moment is it happening or is it more a case of kind of finishing off existing ones i mean what's and um, do you see have you seen any kind of i suppose um uptick in the market recently just curious yeah yeah great question um so as a fast-growing startup you know perspective is always biased uh due to the the growth rate of the company in general um but overall i, I do see that the cdp market is is growing there's more interest in cdps it's more rfps being open for cdps ever before but the ones that are getting closed uh, unsuccessfully, getting shut down effectively, are the ones that are just kind of oriented around wanting a bunch of different features. You can see these RFPs when you get them. You can immediately recognize them. They just have all these words from the CDP vendors. Identity resolution, third-party data, first-party data, this, that, you know, just just pounded, you know, with, with buzzwords um, versus the ones that come in and say, we need to increase repeat purchase of our customers. We have data on our data warehouse that we think can can lead us to propensity and the highest customers to, value customers to focus on. We need to talk to software vendors and partners that can help make this happen. Um, so really what we do is, you know, we don't believe it. No, no one's no one's stupid, right? These marketing teams, marketing tech teams that are opening the CDPR, even the ones filled with with buzzwords are are not are not stupid or in any in any sense way. You know, all these capabilities are very valuable. But in this market, you know, for everyone's benefit, for our benefit, for the customer's benefit, we have to figure out what are the actually most valuable things that can drive the most value in the lowest time, um, because that's what matters in the end of the day, um, especially when people are strapped for resources. So we help our customers with that, and we identify those as fast as we can, while making it clear that we are, you know, a good long-term solution for the client due to our flexibility at the platform. So that's what we've been doing. So the last thing I want to talk to you about really in terms of the product is something, again, you mentioned, you met, I think you mentioned earlier on audience match, right? So that, that sounds very interesting to me. So talk to us about that feature and how it works and, and what problem that solves. hundred percent. So people have been using reverse ETL and CDPs, composable CDPs for advertising for the longest time. The basic use case is you build an audience off your data, like customers who signed up, but didn't purchase um, customers who've dropped off, et cetera. And you sync them to an ad platform where you can say, 
target these customers and put this much budget towards it. Or or better, don't target these customers. They already made a purchase. Don't send them more ads. It's a waste of money. And um, how these capabilities work is that they rely on you know, Facebook, Google, TikTok, whatever, being able to match the identifiers you're sending them with the identifiers they have. So an email from your database matches an email on their database or phone number to their phone number, right? And that that's how these capabilities work. And that's how they're able to, to find who to show or not show these ads. Um, but sometimes, you know, a lot of times, actually, I would say companies don't have the right identifiers to to drive those match rates. So I'll give you two examples. Um, one would be like a B2B companies. They, they have this problem all the time, which is, you know, they're collecting people's work email addresses, which you can use for ads on LinkedIn, but you just don't match many customers when you send a list of work email addresses to run ads on Facebook or Google. Personal email address does way better. So what Match Booster unlocks is that we've actually, you know, made five, you know, seven plus partnerships, uh, built, built sort of a identity graph on our end of those data partnerships, you know, sources like Newstar, um, you know, Axiom, all the types of big, big data partnership companies you can imagine. And um, then we basically allow it so that when you create a sync in high touch um, to an ad network, we can actually enrich the emails, phone numbers, names, et cetera, you have with additional identifiers from these data sources, uh, all merged together and cleaned up by high touch, uh, all out of the box and send the enriched data to the ad platform, which means, you know, you can start using work emails to target on Facebook, something you couldn't do before. And Facebook's way cheaper than LinkedIn for a lot of companies or you know, use emails to target on TikTok, even though it's just a mobile app and TikTok's really only good with phone numbers. So it's a pretty powerful capability. Okay, so how, how how what's the privacy angle on that? How does that work in terms of people's expectation that you do that and so on? Hundred percent. So uh, now, actually storing you know that third party data and managing it does does come with a, a fair amount of liability and compliance overhead. So that's something we take off our customers' back, if that makes sense, by managing the relationships with these with these third party data vendors for them by. Uh, by having the contracts, relationships, you know, secure environment all set up properly on our end. And that's actually a big reason that companies use something like a live ramp in the first place and want to outsource this task, whereas they often build automation around first party data internally. Um, so that's one part of it. Um, the other part of it is that we've kind of audited the whole data supply chain as well. So, you know, what data can be used for what type of activation, which data sources uh, are compliant with things like GDPR, and um, that's some, that's something we we you know are are experts in and are able to help our customers with. If that makes sense. Fantastic. Well, so so just to wrap things up, then what's what's coming on the roadmap then with uh, with High Touch that you can talk about? Um, and um, on that same topic, what is the next thing that you're thinking about trying to solve? Really, big picture, um, it's really uh, you know there's really one big thing driving the the roadmap this year, which is how do we help uh, the marketers get their hands on data um, and use data across their whole workflow from building audiences to managing them, to activating them, to analyzing how they're doing. So I think you'll see more and more capabilities coming out from high touch to make that process easier, um, easier than ever before and and a kind of a streamlined workflow for the marketing teams um, to not have to rely on data teams or technical people um, to get their jobs done. 
And then the other thing we're thinking about is how do we help companies get their data warehouse prepared or, you know, use, use data they already have even more easily uh, inside of, inside of high touch um, because, you know, data preparation, data engineering is, is not always uh, high in resource at a company. It's in fact, high in demand. It's the opposite. So um, we're thinking about those problems and, you know, how do we give a framework for that to our clients? And, and what's the obligatory AI feature that you've got coming along sort of soon then that you must be putting into the product? Or maybe maybe being slightly cynical, you know, where where do you think AI fits into what you're doing? Totally, totally. So, I mean, I think the opportunity for um, for using large language models to uh, to, to build audiences and, and to do analytics uh, is, is, is actually quite obvious. And um, I do think there's something powerful about what we've built at Hightouch that can, you know, actually make that work versus not work. There's a lot of startups online that say, I want to generate SQL queries for you using chat GPT. And, um, you know, that's mm-hmm. not just going to work on top of a data warehouse that has like 10,000 or a hundred thousand tables in it. It's going to query the wrong data. It's a total mess to navigate something like that, even as a human. Um, it's not a computational problem. It's a, it's a data cataloging problem, if that makes sense. So where I do think it can work is on top of whitelisted data, on top of the BI reports, on top of the models, on top of the exact understanding of you know what data matters and how does it relate to each other um and that's what we have in high touch in order to set up our audience builder so i would say the obligatory response is that we are exploring those things okay and so how do people find out more about high touch then 100 percent. so you just go to hightouch.com um so the word high like a high five the word touch like i don't know touch um and then go to the dot com and we'll be there okay and will you be at snowflake summit in a few weeks time i will be at snowflake so if anyone wants to grab a coffee or go to an event together there uh hit me up fantastic excellent well it's been great speaking to you again it's really good the way the products come along and uh, it's great to get your insights into the market thank you very much for everything and uh stay in touch and best of luck in the future thanks mark i appreciate you having me on the show 